Chapter 8 A deceitful adversary is first seen on earth as a beautiful creature resembling a shining lizard. When his teasing banter entices Eve and then Adam to disobey the command of God, he is held accountable with them for the offence. Devil and man both fell in Eden. It was then, as we have seen, that evil and the knowledge of evil first appeared on earth. The angels in heaven were watching, and some at this time resolved to follow the tempter, enlisting in his malevolent company. We are told they did not stay within their own domain, but left their proper dwelling. A number appeared on earth in human form, and even fathered children. Scripture does not tell us more than this concerning the origin of evil, and we can be thankful that our knowledge is so slight. We have seen that throughout the age of the Old Testament, the devil had liberty to engage in heavenly battles and to deceive and afflict the nations of the world. Among the angels, he could enter the presence of God, as described in the book of Job. But there, he could do no more than accuse the innocent and offer sly suggestions, until finally permitted to afflict the faithful man with sores and destroy his irreverent offspring. Among God's chosen people, Satan's power was always strictly limited. And now we begin to see the successive stages in his downfall. The conflict in the heavenlies was brought to an abrupt end, with a climactic battle in which, we are told, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Heaven was now completely free of accusers and adversaries. We read, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Immediately, the territories of Judea and Galilee were marked out as the battlefield for a prodigious earthly struggle. Jesus told his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It was an unprecedented crisis, as we are told, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. With the prospect of escalating pain and misery on earth, the conception and birth of the Son of God became an urgent necessity. We've seen how powers of darkness attempted to destroy him as soon as he was born. Throughout his childhood, the nation suffered all manner of affliction. A poor woman with a bent back was bound by Satan for 18 years, and no one could release her. For thirty years the people of Israel were oppressed by demons and diseases that had no remedy. But Jesus was growing to manhood and preparing for a mighty confrontation.
Battle commenced as he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he would be tempted and tested to the limit of human endurance. The result was ominous for the tempter, because Jesus refused every enticement and temptation. Amidst predatory animals, he was unharmed and unafraid. The decisive earthly contest entered its second phase when the Son of God started to teach and heal and drive out demons. Wherever he went, the power of evil was challenged, rebuked and overcome. Binding the strong man, Jesus set the captives free. Sending out his disciples, he declared, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. This, for the accuser, was the beginning of the end. But then came a third and crucial phase in the dramatic earthly conflict. To this point, the devil could truly claim to be the ruler of the world. Unnumbered generations in every Gentile nation had long believed his lies, suffered his miseries, and done his will. He could also accuse the Lord God of injustice, because those generations had come and gone without being condemned and cursed for their wickedness, as he himself had been. Now, if Jesus has dared to call himself the Son of Man, he's not merely tied himself into the bundle of humanity, but is claiming to be its unique and preeminent representative. If events can be manipulated so the Son of Man is condemned by God, then the bundle he represents will be condemned with him, and justice will at last be done. With this strategy in mind, the accuser carefully planned the death of Christ. But as the time drew near, Jesus gathered and reassured his disciples, saying, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Even as Jesus writhed in agony on the cross, those who put him there began to shout, Save yourself! Then more urgently, Save yourself and come down from the cross! And with growing desperation, Come down from the cross! As though the accuser realised too late, he'd made a terrible mistake. His victim had done no wrong and was not guilty before God. As Jesus himself declared, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. Instead of crucifying a guilty man, the devil was destroying an innocent one. This, for the enemy, had three fatal consequences. Firstly, the human bundle, represented by Christ, was very publicly condemned. For the law declares... A crucified man is cursed by God. The claim of injustice can no longer stand. Secondly, the accuser himself 
is guilty of the most extreme crime ever committed, having plotted the crucifixion of God's innocent and beloved Son. On this account, we read, the ruler of this world is judged. And thirdly, the enemy now has no more claim on humankind. Their case has been closed and put forever beyond his reach. The record that stood against us was nailed to the cross. So we read that God himself disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. After this, the devil is never again called the ruler of this world. Having been disarmed and disgraced, he can no longer control the nations of the earth or their leaders, ideologies and institutions. He can no longer fool all of the people all of the time, deluding and tormenting their inhabitants at will. Yet even so, there remains much evil in the world. Resuming in a different guise, the contest now enters its fourth and final phase, the stage we are now in. For thousands of years, the evil one had been allowed free reign to deceive the peoples of the earth. He had inspired all manner of false beliefs and gross practices, promoting manifold depravities with bizarre miracles. He had moved his devotees to mutilate their bodies in religious frenzy, to indulge in extravagant orgies of religious prostitution and to burn their children as offerings to idols. He had inspired many persuasive philosophies and impressive rituals to preoccupy the minds and hearts of intelligent and influential people. And the Lord God did not intervene. In past generations, we read, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Many religious devotees thought they were serving the true God. But in reality, we are told, what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And for most of them, it was a cruel bondage. Suddenly, from these vain things, the nations had been set free. When the Son of Man was crucified, it brought a fresh start for the human race. He sealed a new covenant, not with the twelve tribes of Israel, but with anyone from any nation who will put their trust in him. What happened next is described by John in his remarkable book of Revelation. In the dramatic vision revealed to him, Invisible things are given visible shape, and everything he sees has a spiritual meaning. A holy angel appears, coming down from heaven, holding the key to a bottomless abyss, and also a great chain. Then we read, And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the vast abyss, 
and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were ended. Confined with him are the angels who did not stay within their own domain. They too must be kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Banished from the face of the earth, the devil can no longer deceive the nations. For the first time in their long and tortured history, the peoples of the world are no longer totally fooled by him and under his control. As Jesus describes how the ruler of this world will be cast out, he continues with the following words. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It was then that men and women from every culture and nation began to feel the Spirit of Christ drawing them to faith in him. As it is written, convicting the world of what is wrong, what is right, and how this will be judged by God. Commissioning his followers, Jesus told them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple all the nations. Then he ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. As we read, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The outcome of the conflict between good and evil is now secure. The crucial battle has been fought and won. The enemy is confined and chained and no longer rules the world. His captives in every land are being set free as Christ begins to draw all people to himself. This is the Gospel Age, and it brings us up to date. This is where we are today. Now let's review the successive stages in the downfall of our greatest enemy. Expelled from heaven, the devil was limited to troubling the earth where his attack was quickly focused on the nation of Israel. As Jesus began to proclaim the kingdom, to heal the sick and drive out demons, we saw the strong man bound, his captives dramatically released from misery and fear. Contriving a hideous crucifixion, the accuser was himself judged and imprisoned in the bottomless abyss while Christ, exalted in the heavens, is now drawing people to himself from every nation and culture. But still, the contest is not over. From the abyss, great hosts of demonic powers can even now arise to torment the earth. And we read, their torment is like the torment of a scorpion when it stings. As Christ, 
draws men, women and children to himself, powers of darkness drag them back. Evil spirits still have opportunity to tempt and to deceive. They may cause enmities and accidents and lead the unwary to eternal destruction. But they can be resisted and overcome, as we shall see. To complete the picture, we must now look ahead. Jesus himself warns us to prepare for troubled times, for a short period of great distress in all the world. As the present age draws towards its close, we are told that Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. The final sequence of events is then vividly portrayed. As the catastrophic problems facing humankind slip towards a global crisis, a persuasive world leader will arise. Many will accept him as the only hope for saving the planet and the human race. He is described as the wicked one who opposes every so-called god or object of worship and puts himself above them all. We are told that he will come with the power of Satan and perform all kinds of false signs and wonders and use every kind of wicked deception. As tension rises, the whole world prepares for an ultimate showdown and war seems inevitable. But this final conflict, the Battle of Armageddon, will be over before it starts. For when all seems lost, Christ will suddenly appear in power and great glory. The forces intent on evil are annihilated. And we read, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. From there, he and his demonic agents will never again emerge to trouble planet Earth. After this comes the wonderful moment when, we are told, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The multitudes of past generations are now fully conscious. And we read, The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The last judgment follows, separating those who are safe with Christ from those who are not. Meanwhile, the whole planet is engulfed in fire, and from the ashes of the old earth's surface, a new creation arises. Plants and animals, flowers and butterflies, water and earth and sky. As John describes it, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Then Jesus descends from the heavenly realm with all who belong to him, their souls reclothed with new imperishable bodies for life in a new and perfect world.
we read that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more grief or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. So finally, death is swallowed up in victory, and the survivors will have an abundance of everything good for life in an earthly paradise. We are assured that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious freedom of the children of God. Good has triumphed, and soon the knowledge of evil will be no more than a distant memory. So the Lord God himself declares, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The ones who conquer will have this heritage, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the fiery lake of burning sulphur, which is the second death. This all lies in the future, which may come sooner than we think. But more urgently, we need to know how to deal with the last remaining powers of darkness now. 